All right, y'all, before we get to sipping, we want to get to thanking the people that help make Dad Drinking Bourbon possible. And that starts with our friends at distilleryproducts.com. They have the best stuff at the best prices. If you're a store, a group, or a distillery, and you want to get awesome wholesale prices for laser edge glassware and other cool swag items, reach out to me. I'd love to get you in touch with Carson, Janie, Vicky, the rest of the family over at distilleryproducts.com. You'll be glad you did. We'd also like to take a second and thank our friends over at Orca Coors. The summer is coming to an end, but it is still 95 degrees. That means you can still get out to the lake, but right around the corner, it's going to be camping season and you need awesome roto molded coolers that will keep your food and drinks and whatever else you put in there cold for days. I mean, the ice will last three, four, five days and you'll open it up. It'll be just like you put it in there. And the tumblers, come on, they have all sorts of cool tumblers that keep your drink hot or cold, you know it's going to make people turn heads and look at you and be a little bit jealous when you come to the party or the campsite or the lake with Orca Coolers. Use code DADSEASON. That is DADSEASON because it's dad season year round and you will get 20% off of your order. That is code DADSEASON for 20% off at orcacoolers.com. I also want to thank Action247.com for supporting Dad's Drinking Bourbon. If you want action, get in on the action with Tennessee's only sports book by Tennessee's for Tennesseans. It is the first week of college football. There is a college football free bet. Wager 20 bucks on college football and you'll get a $30 freebie. There's 100K free to play challenges. Customers have two opportunities to win 100K during the first weeks of college football in the NFL. Check that out. Don't forget to use code DADS100 when you make your deposit, and they will match up to $400 of your first deposit using the code DADS100. Make your picks. We're going to make some picks this week. Listen up for that. Will Tennessee cover the 34.5-point spread against Bowling Green? Can Georgia overtake Alabama for the SEC title? Will Vandy win this year? We want to know these things. Let's make this year interactive with Action247.com. We're going to have a lot of fun. Use code DADS100. Adds 100 and they will match up to $400 of your first deposit. Cheers. Zeke, are you mad at me? Never. I just feel like we tried to do a cold open. It didn't work. And I feel like you're a little mad at me. No, it'd be like if someone, you know, asked if you were mad at your kids, you know, you don't tell them you're mad. You just say you're disappointed and walk away coldly. I was disappointed in your cold open. I was disappointed when you started talking. But like, I just wanted to make sure we were cool before we started the show. It's a Monday. I forgive you. We all stay a little stressed and wound up a little tighter. everyone my name is john edwards with me as always is zeke baker and together we make the dad drink of bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us a part of your day i am sorry we did not sync tonight typically we do typically we record on mondays and we can get it together today has been a particularly tough monday i got some bad news today zeke i will share that with you later and it will all make sense why i'm not funny today but we have a very special guest 
and that is George Miliotis. He is from Hooten Young. He is a master sommelier behind blending this brand together. He is based out of Florida. We have tried the previous 92 proof light whiskey that Hooten Young put out. George was not particularly happy with us and our assessment of this whiskey. I talked to him after the fact and I said, you know what? Why don't you come on and talk about it with us? And you said, wait, we are putting out a barrel proof. And I said, why don't you send us the barrel proof and we will talk about that. And then we could also talk about the 92 proof expression. So that being said, George Miliotis, Master Sommelier, the man behind Hooten Young, thank you so much for joining Dad Shrinking Bourbon. Hey guys, y'all doing all right? Not particularly well today as you're (laughs) hearing. Guys, it's 10 o'clock and we're drinking whiskey. It can't be all that bad, can it? If we were ever going to be cartoon characters, I'm not saying I would be Winnie the Pooh, but he would definitely be Eeyore. Eeyore, no (laughs) doubt. But let me clear the air for a minute. Like, I don't want to say I was upset by y'all's review. Y'all are allowed to have your own uh, opinions about everything. What I did think is y'all liked it a little bit better than you, uh, than maybe you said. And maybe because it's not bourbon, but whiskey, you're in a bad mood that day. Or maybe the cold opening wasn't as good as it could have been that either. I can't tell y'all about the run-up. You know, I've listened to the, the podcast a couple of times. I'm like, yeah, I understand. Like, we're new. and um, Maybe you wanted it to be barrel proof. Um, and so that maybe made it sound a little bit worse, but I don't think y'all didn't enjoy the whiskey. Y'all like the whiskey, which is all good. And Hey, we always had barrel proof on our mind. It was just finding the right barrel and, uh, the right angle. And so I hope that you're sucking on this and kind of liking it. Yeah. And when John originally, uh, mentioned the, the conversation y'all had, I promise it was much more upbeat and simply, <laughs> hey, you know, we all agreed we all have opinions. Yeah. And we agreed, let's revisit it one more time and hash it out and have, you know, a fun time and adult conversation over a pour or two. And uh, he and I both laughed and were super jovial and, and you know, receptive to it Green. as well. So I, good, good. I, I think it's the, the day or the timing, but I, <laughs> I agree with your assessment for sure. It awesome. happens to all of us at times. It's a fair shout to say we enjoyed it. I think where I know I was coming from in the review, you know, the light whiskey that I've had in the past has all been 135 proof or higher. You know, like I see a trend in brands, like I don't know why brands are buying up a whole bunch of MGP and proofing it down to 80 proof. You know, it's like, with the, the demand that the market has right now for MGP barrels and, and you're seeing five-year, six-year MGP that is barrel strength going for $80, $90, $100, which I think is a little bit too high anyway, but you know, the market would dictate that those barrels, especially you know when it's MGP light whiskey, I think that that stuff could be obtained elsewhere while you're doing things with your MGP barrels that are more lucrative for the brand in the long run. We can say something is a good whiskey, but also realize it's not our wheelhouse. And I think for you, you know, you have a wine bar, you're trying to convert those wine people. And this is something we did talk about on the phone after putting out a light whiskey at 92 proof that could be a nice and sweet. And you might get some of those wine converts over to the whiskey. 
that is a completely different clientele than two dudes that have a podcast called Dad's Drinking yeah. Bourbon. Correct. What we're going to go for is going to be something a little bit different than that. And I think it's okay because when we give our reviews, we also say, this is for us. This is what we think. However, if you like a lighter, sweeter, lower proof whiskey, this is going to be your jam, right? Like, and that's the way that we always present it is that this is our opinion about our stuff, but don't take what we say as gospel, listen to what we're saying behind it. And then your palate might be different. Correct. And the way I kind of look at it, and I've thought about this a lot as to how to maybe best explain my feelings is like Chevrolet makes trucks. They make, they make uh, Corvettes. They make freaking electric cars. They're all Chevrolets. And like, I look at the 92 proof and that's my truck. Like, I drive a Silverado. I love it. It does a lot of shit for me and it's awesome. And hey, if I want to go out in it, I don't care what anybody thinks. It's a useful truck. The barrel proof, man, that's a Corvette. It's about going fast and it really isn't all that good handling curves. It's about <laughs> going fast. It's still a Chevrolet <laughs> and it's still cool to drive. I love Chevrolets and like, you're going to buy me a Corvette. I'll drive it fast down the road and everybody has their use for their car. Right. Which is funny because to me, a guy who drives an F-150, but I will still use the the truck analogy. I would think of the barrel proof as the Silverado. And I would think (laughs) of the 92 proof as like a Chevy Cobalt. And I'm six, three and my ass is not fitting in the Cobalt. You know, yeah, he's not getting in the cobalt without a doubt. <laughs> Sorry, Zeke, but you were going to say something. I was going to say, I, I also kind of always think and wonder too, John hits on the, the, the desire for higher proofs, but I, I still have to err on the side of, I think that's still the minority of overall consumers. And I personally would always want to see, you know, uh, a skew analysis, so to speak of, well, which one sold more, which one put more food in your table. That's the bottom line at the end of the day. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and I think I gave George my typical spiel that we are the 1%. You know, once you get to people that are stupid enough to make a bourbon podcast, you are at the 1% of whiskey drinkers in America. There's plenty of people that will talk about it. Plenty of people in groups, but like, if you're that stupid enough that you're going to go buy equipment, you are very particular at a certain point. It's important to also realize that, you know, Tito's, Grey Goose, all that stuff, those keep liquor stores open. It's not the people that are coming in saying, hey, do you have Blanton's? They're not keeping liquor stores open. It it is 100% those other people. And Zeke and I also will tell you that we are kind of at a point where we just want easy drinkers. If we do a certain review at one point in our lifespan of the podcast i think it's also interesting to see how things move because like the barrels we have been picking have not been particularly super complex lately like we have just wanted stuff we're at the point now in our whiskey drinking careers that we just want something that goes down easy and you don't have to think about too much and i think there's something to be said about that 92 proof and that Now that we got on this philosophical conversation, tell us a little bit about yourself, George. I am a uh, a master sommelier, one of 260 in the world. 
Um, I run a restaurant at Disney Springs called Wine Bar George that has about 180 wines on it that uh, all can be enjoyed by the bottle, the glass, or the ounce. So if you want one ounce of one of the greatest wines in the world, you don't want to buy the bottle for $2,000, you can come in and enjoy it. But more apropos to what we're doing is we also have a very fun and kind of adventurous beverage program. Spirits are also you know, a couple of fun things that we do. And we're pretty serious about whiskey also. And so we have a really good time serving Houghton Young. And where where are y'all based out of? Zeke's in Atlanta. No, we're both in Nashville. All right. I thought you said Zeke's from Georgia. Yeah. So um, yeah, Nashville doesn't have any of the two restaurants that uh, before I got involved with my own place, familiar with the Capitol Grill or Seasons 52. I ran Capital Grill's beverage program for the 15 years before I started my own place. And then I was one of the founders of Seasons 52. There are about 50 of those restaurants around the country. So I know a little bit about the restaurant business and about flavor. And it's interesting what y'all were riffing on just a couple minutes ago about how you like easy drinkers. I have a really, it's not a complex thought, but it is kind of different for people from time to time. Whatever it is, whether it's your food, or if it's a wine, or if it's a whiskey, things that just taste good, just taste good. And isn't that what we really want? And sometimes, and I'll I'll use like beer as a place, like this thought that I've got to have 37 tons of the most bitter hop in a beer, and that's really cool. The beer doesn't taste good to me. Now, maybe it does to other people. I like things that just plain taste good in my life is built around serving things that taste good. And yeah, I think the 92 proof tastes good. Is it going to knock your socks off with complexity? You know, that's not what that product is about. And I also think the 120 proof, the barrel proof that we have here, I think y'all are going to find that you think it tastes good too. And that's what I'm all about. And easy drinking sometimes sell, you're selling yourself short. Y'all like things that taste good. I find it interesting. I want to get to this later, but I'm teasing it now. I find it interesting that you did pick light whiskey to go with because, and this is the thing about higher proof light whiskey to me. I always find it amazing. You could have like 150 proof light whiskey, but it does not taste 150 proof. It's going to be sweeter and it is deceptively careful. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's one of those bottles and I'm not talking about your stuff, but I'm talking about the higher proof light whiskey. I think it's one of those ones I've always given to people in a blind or when they come over to my house and they're like, you know, John, pour me something. And I'm like, all right, try this. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Tell me what you think of it. And I'm like, tell me what proof you think it is. And they're all like, oh, I don't know. 110. I'm like, yeah, 157. And they're like, what (laughs) did you just give me airline fuel? Tell me more about Wine Bar George, because I was just in Disney Springs. I went to the Polite Pig because I have a five-year-old with me. Yeah. What is the kid policy at Wine Bar George? Like, if I go back, or can I take my daughter? Because now I'm I'm going to go back. Dude, we love kids, first and foremost. So you could have brought your, uh, your daughter by, and we'd be more than happy to take care of y'all. And it's funny, one of my... Uh, 
an American American guy who lives in France who helps buy uh, helps me buy Bordeaux wines. He had his ten year old daughter in with him today, and we had the best of times. And so we're on Disney property on in Disney Springs. We serve kids every single day. We know how to take care of them. We serve serious food, serious wine, serious drinks, but we don't take ourselves all that seriously. That like I got a twenty four year old, a twenty one year old, and a sixteen year old. I know more than my than my share about kids and how they need to act. And I see kids every day. We'd love to have y'all. Nobody should ever hesitate to come visit us because they have kids. And that's a cool thing with Disney Springs. I mean, I feel like if you have a restaurant there, you just kind of have to expect that kids are going to be there. Without a doubt. And to be direct, like, I love kids. Why should they be able to come into my place and eat? I got good food for kids too. As an adult, you've taken your kids to the park all day. Bring your kids to my place for a good meal. And you can have serious food. You can have a badass mixed drink if you want. Or we can talk wine smack from $8 a glass to 500 bucks a glass. Where are you within Disney Springs so that people can be on the lookout? So the part of Disney Springs that we're in is called the landing. And you do have to, like when you went to the pig, you probably came straight down the stairs and went right into the pig. You have to go about maybe 100 yards straight out of the stairs that you came down. And that's when you walk over a bridge into landing and there's Raglan Road, which is an Irish pub by us. There's Morimoto's restaurant and a big restaurant called the Boathouse. And then there's my place that kind of triangulates those three other restaurants. And while we're relatively small for most of the restaurants out there, we got about 200 seats. I've got a balcony that's covered. So if you want to eat outdoors, you can. I've got three rooms. Each two of them have bars in them that all have their own different feel to it. And the restaurant kind of feels like uh, it was maybe a turn of the century winery at one time that we've turned into a restaurant. Well, I will be back with a five-year-old. You know, I have one more. Without a doubt. We know you have this awesome resume with Capitol Grill and and the other restaurants that, that you've been a part of, but like what got you into wine to begin with? So I was lucky enough that my dad, when I was about 12 years old, got out of the corporate world and went into the restaurant business for himself. And in the early 70s, child labor laws were much different than they are today. And so I was free labor. And um, so I grew up in the restaurants from when I was 12 all the way through college, worked in the restaurants. My first job was washing beer glasses and washing wine glasses in the restaurant. And then the back of our restaurant, we sold wine retail. And so I had to keep the shelves clean and stocked and faced and all that kind of thing. And really kind of always liked the way wine labels look, started asking questions. And, um, you know, by the time I was 16 years old, I was helping my dad sell wine to guests. And I've always been kind of, you know, obsessed with things that smell and taste good. And so, you know, after college, I went back and I worked for my dad. We had a big steakhouse at that time and continued to learn about alcohol, which it's kind of funny. A lot of people never think about, hey, can alcohol be a living? Alcohol has provided me with a really, really good living. Maybe it's the path less traveled, but it's a really cool path and a fun path. You know, what I eat and what I drink is very important to me. It's funny you should say that because I think a passion for you, and you've said this multiple times, is just things that taste good. I feel like there is this big, you know, everybody talks about pairing wine with food and that is the number one thing. It's okay. You know, reds go with this type of food, whites go with this type of food. I feel like there is a whole 
aspect of pairing whiskey with food that has not been explored enough. And it's funny enough that you bring the light whiskey to market because I feel like light whiskey can almost be like a white wine, like your 92 light whiskey. You can pair that with things that you know, or a little bit lighter, maybe a pasta, or maybe, you know, you're not going to put a steak with that. And then you get something that is a, a higher proof, maybe a heavier rye content. And that's going to be more like your steak food. Do you think in terms like that at all? Because I, mean, I know you've probably paired your fair share of food and wine together. I, I have done extensive food and wine pairing. It can be as geeky as you want it to get. I like to maybe pare back the geekiness a little bit, but I can I can get very granular with that. But one thing that I've always found overriding for my uh, for my food and wine pairing, whether it's with spirits or if it's with wine and food, is like really top quality goes really well with really top quality. And so if I'm having a piece of American Wagyu beef. Uh, you know, that's a ribeye and it's just a little piece. Yeah. I'm going to go for the highest quality red wine. I absolutely can with that. But if you turned to me and said, you know what? I don't like red wine, but I want to have a whiskey with this. I would, as you said, I do one, one other thing that I'd add to it. I would want something where there is still a little bit of wood tannin in the whiskey, because those tannins are what help cleanse your palate from the fat on the steak. And so that little bit of woodiness, you know, sometimes when you have a good young bourbon, you'll finish it and you can just lightly breathe back in and you'll get that feeling of oak, particularly charred oak on the side of your palate. That's a little bit of wood tannin. And so I'd use that wood tannin and the high spice and the high smoke of um, that younger top quality bourbon to pair pretty well with that steak. And so, yeah, I'm on board with you. There's so much that can be done with whiskey as a spirit and pairing with things. Um, and spirits as a whole with pairing, but it's kind of forgotten or lost in the uh, moral high ground of wine saying it's the best beverage with food. Now, the other thing I have, because it's not often we have somebody who is well-versed in wine, is the wine community bummed with the whiskey community for stealing the numeric system? Because <laughs> I still don't understand, like nothing can be below an 80, can it? I know, isn't that? It's just it's bullshit because, like, there's a reason that their your grading scale is sixty to a hundred. You should be able to say this is a seventy-five, but it's going to cost you twelve dollars a bottle in the store, and it should be a seventy-five, right? Yeah, because if it's twelve dollars, that's. But everybody's like, oh, it's ninety points and it's twelve dollars. Well, no, I you know. And I, I'm not saying that you can't have something that's 90 points and $12 a bottle. I'm sure it exists somewhere there. But those should be very few and far between. But yeah, if everybody gets bummed if their wine or their whiskey doesn't get a 90 or above. Well, it shouldn't be that way, but there's got to be some cost balance and there's got to be some idea of value in it. So no, we're not, nobody in the wine community is the 80 to, a, you know, the zero to 100 point scale. We all know what it is. And so it is what it is, right? Well, and that's 100% why Zeke and I do not use a numeric system when we're talking about whiskey. And I almost feel like when it gets to a certain point, like whether or not we would buy it or drink it or whatever is 
not the biggest deal. I mean, the biggest deal you're looking at is what is price? Price is perceived value based off a whole number of, of factors, but it is based off of this taste. A, do I think this price is is priced correctly? And B, would I drink this whiskey? I think B, you almost answer independently of the price. Absolutely. You know, is this whiskey good enough to drink? Yes. Would I pay the amount they're charging for it? No. But if you gave it to me, I'd still say it was really good. Like that is a review that is more powerful to me than this is 90 points. The end. Correct. I'm surprised no one's tried to to rework those skills. I mean, there's been more than a few times now I've done blind tastings with groups to where, you know, they'll send out the, the rating scale system for everyone to score it. And it's the same point you made. If anything below a, a 60 or whatever is it's essentially piss water, well, why is it scaled to where more than half your numbers are useless? Like, why would that product go Absolutely. to market? Absolutely. Absolutely. To me, it, just, so it, why- it makes it harder to differ- differentiate as well like your middle of the road stuff, because a 72 to a 76 doesn't seem like much, but based on what you're left to work with, it is actually like 10 points probably or 20, you know? And like, I'm sorry, a $9 bottle in the grocery store should never be more than 85 points, right? In fact, 85 points for a $9 bottle, you should throw a freaking party for it. One of the two is definitely wrong and somebody's lying somewhere. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think I'm somebody like, yeah. said something about wine. Like, what is it? The average palate cannot identify a wine that's over like 75 bucks. I'm happy to be direct about this. On a wine list, if it's over 125 bucks, that's supply and demand kicking in. Plain and simple. And hey, you know, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, Thomas Jefferson used to buy it. So for 200 plus years, they've been considered the greatest red wine in the world. And while they've expanded some of their production, they haven't expanded it a large amount. So of course, it's going to be more expensive. They have 250 years of proof that they make one of the best red wines in the world, and it's in high demand, right? But I can still find you other red wines for less than $125 a bottle on a list that give you a ton of joy. But you can't say that you drank Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, a wine that's been in a winery that's been in business for 250 years. And that Thomas Jefferson guy, who was a party animal, knew what he was buying. <laughs> uh, the more we I, talk to George, the more yeah. I like him. And the more I feel like he would hang out with us, like we are that type of people. It's like the wine society and all that. I say this with peace and love. It is. Yeah. It could be a very hoity toity world. You know, everybody's talking about certain vintages when they're going to peak and like it gets very specific and nobody's ever sitting there with whiskey going like the 2004 George T. Stagg really peaks at so because whiskey doesn't age anymore once it goes in the bottle. And I don't say that for you. I'm saying that for the people that are that are listening. And I feel like whiskey can still get very pretentious, but there's a lot of people that are just like, man, this shit's good. I just want to drink it. And that's how I feel you are. So I can say definitively, for me at least, I cannot say for any other human being in the planet, but for me, and I've tasted a lot of things, I'm all about wine that just tastes good. All right? That's what I want. Complicating it more than that is about being geeky about it. Like We can break down what the whiskey tastes like and all that and be very specific too. But in the end, does it taste good? 
or does it not taste good? We're human beings. We like things that taste good. We are driven to eat things and drink things that taste good. It's in our DNA. We want to drink things and eat things that taste good. I can talk wine smack with the most hoity-toity of them, but I choose not to unless I have to. It's like, come into my place. I got good food. People come into the restaurant and they're like, nobody said that you had good food. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to open up a restaurant that has shitty food. All right. (laughs) And I got cool wines and I got like five bartenders who are so freaking passionate about what they do that you can come in and talk alcohol smack, talk spirit smack with them and be like, am I really in a wine bar? And then you can transition into wine and they'll talk wine with you too. So again, I look back to, yeah, I'm, I just want things that taste good and for y'all to come in the restaurant and have a good time. I, uh, I, I did want to ask, especially when John mentioned about, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, whiskey no longer continues to age in the bottle, quote unquote. Uh, when you mentioned having all the the wines available by, you know, the pour or ounce or whatever, I assume you have one of the systems to where um, yeah. keeps it fresh and whatnot. Yeah. How relevant do you think that is in the whiskey world? Because that actually is a pretty good debate amongst the whiskey nerds. So we use a Coravin for our wines, which is uh, you take it on and off the bottle. It's not one of those big things. You got to put all the bottles in and tap it and that kind of thing. This is a device that sits on top of the bottle. A cork um, needle goes through the cork and then it pressurizes it and pushes the wine out. My thing with all products is pretty much how you move through the product. And like, I do truly believe that, yes, this stuff's 12 years old at a minimum, the 92 proof. This is 12 years old at a minimum. What's in this And this barrel was 12 years old on the day, you know, a few days after it was bottled up a few days after its 12th birthday. I do think whiskey improves. And I think y'all know it improves in the barrel. Once it's in the bottle, I'm not, I don't say that I don't think anything really happens over a long period of time, but I will tell you, I do know there's oxygen from here to here and oxygen oxidizes things. Have I done a study? No, but I say something has to happen to the bottle as it remains open. Everything else oxidizes, right? Yeah, that, that's my train of thought is something has to happen. I, I think that's probably the biggest uncertainty is, is it a, you know, is the needle moving 1% or is it moving, you know, 15 to 20% where over a year or two or even longer, uh, you know, you would notice a much more sway in the profile, so to speak. I think the amount of alcohol that is in the product probably acts as a um, as a deterrent to oxidation would be my my sense. But I still say that yes, something happens to it in the glass if you wait three years before tapping into any of it. But because if you don't like visit it every once in a while, or you don't have notes from three years ago, <laughs> how are you going to know, right? <laughs> Remember, see, Jane Bowie has that rule with in in her household that the bottle once it gets cracked it has a year she looks at it and says all right with the oxidation as we drink it down second i open it i know it's got a year shelf life and then we're drinking it we're moving on well you've seen the guys Uh, at the tastings and they'll have the little things they put in the top and they kind of pump it up to to repressurize it or pull the oxygen out or i guess both i don't do it um obviously so I, i haven't spent as much time or paying as much attention i just grasp the general concept but seeing how much of a background you have in wine and knowing it's definitely been proven to be extremely relevant in that case just wondered as far as if you were going to think abstractly how uh, how much that would cross over into the you know bourbon or whiskey space 
Now I have to agree with you. I think there's something going on there. Can I, have I done a, you know, a study of it? I haven't. So I don't want to say I have definitively, but that's a lot of headspace for oxygen. And if, you know, every six months I take a shot out of it, that's refreshing the oxygen every six months. If I don't, that's a whole different thing because you only got that limited amount of oxygen. But if you're opening it up, oxygen's moving back in. Kind of like anyway. a humidor. That's why you only open the humidor when you absolutely have to. When you're ready for it. Yep. Yeah. One last thing I will say, because I do not want this to turn into a whole podcast where we're just like, hey, <laughs> let's uh, talk about wine versus whiskey. Yeah. But um, I find that the whiskey crowd obsesses too much over stupid awards. So whether or not you get double gold or platinum or best in show or silver, or whatever it is like. And you will see these brands and it's almost like people that are touting a 75. They're like, we won silver. And it's like, I would not put out a whole ad in a magazine saying you won a silver medal. Most whiskey brands get a gold just for paying the money for the entry fee. But do you see that right. in wine? And Oh, yeah. All the time. Everybody's Everybody's got a rating. And, you know, I got Rich the Plumber who's rating wines. I've got... <laughs> Anybody can rate it. It's like y'all, you know, there's uh what But like do they have medals opposed to the numeric oh, yeah. system? Oh, okay. Oh, this no, is how naive I am to the wine world. Five years ago, I heard from some, I had somebody tell me that Malbec was an unappreciated wine or underrated. And I said it and our whole friend group still won't let me live it down. So <laughs> yeah. That lets you know how naive I am. It's all good. But now there's everybody has a gold medal and everybody has a double gold. And I was in the top 100 wines of the year, whatever. You got to believe it. Uh, no, nah, I'm not going there. But just, yes, everybody has everybody has awards. Enough to make anybody crazy. That's why I'm like, you want me to list it? Bring it in. I'll taste it blind against what I have on my list right now. Then we'll look at pricing and decide what I'm going to do. If you feel that passionately, give me a bottle. It will be tasted professionally blind. And if it is a better wine, we'll ascertain it and we'll use it. And that is 100% how we started too. And when this podcast started five years ago, we were exclusively blind tasting everything. I think with kids getting older additional kids coming on board we did not yeah. have the time to blind taste like we wanted to we still try to get those in as much as we can but it's also i almost feel like we've done so many blind tastings that our audience knows that we're going to be objective if it's blind or not it's almost like earned credibility at that point but there's something to be said about tasting blind though that everybody yeah. needs to do and we get people yeah. The reach out. So I, I'm sure people go to you all the time and say, George, what wine should I drink? And you go, well, what do you like? Do you like it? These type of notes or these type of notes. And I just tell people go get five different expressions of whiskey, taste them blind, figure out which one you like the best, and then go down that road more. But don't tell me Correct. what to buy you because I don't know what your palate is. Part of it's people are hoping you say what they already have in their mind. Yeah. Like I'm a, I'm a pharmacist. they Nothing irks me more than when someone comes up and, hey, what would you recommend for da -da 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 -da. Okay, I'll stop what I'm doing, go out in the store. Here's what I really like, maybe this. Well, what about this other thing off the shelf that I saw on the news a couple of days ago? Would that work? You knew you were going to buy it when you walked in here. Why in the hell did you aggravate me? 
(laughs) So at my place, like you can get, I sell Cabernet and Chardonnay like everybody else. And I know plenty about both the varietals, but when you come into my place and you ask me, Hey, I'm at wine bar, George, what do you want to have? I'll ask some probing questions, but then most of the time I'm going to try to take you to something new that you haven't had before. So you'll remember my place because you can get freaking Cabernet in every single restaurant in the United States today. Now, if you come to me and say, I only drink Cabernet, well, good that I'll take you on a Cabernet ride that you've never had before, because we'll go to Australia for some cab or we'll go to South Africa for some cab. But like with everything, I want to differentiate my place and I want you to be able to try a bunch of things. And the same should go with your idea with whiskey. Hey, you don't have to go buy the bottle. Go into a freaking restaurant where you know the people. Go to the bar. Say, put me Tennessee whiskey. Put me bourbon. And put me a light whiskey. Give me a half shot of each. Half an ounce of each. And let me taste them next to each other. Because it's blind tasting. But blind tasting with the three things or the five things in front of you all at once. So there's some comparison being done. If you, I love oaky wines, oaky whites. So I'll pour them one oaky white and two non-oaky whites. Just like they're like, oh man, this one here is really, really great. Yeah, that's an oak Riesling. Oh, I don't like Riesling. It's sweet. I'm like, well, that's a dry Riesling and it doesn't have any oak on it. But it is most certainly the best wine of three. And you said it. You just didn't know what you're saying, right? Oh, that's funny. I think there's a lot of similarities in the world, but what got you in with Hooten and Young? I mean, these are guys that I think it was Hooten who was in Black Hawk Down. He was actually in the the helicopter. Yeah, he was on the ground. And like what Eric Bana does in that, like I've spent a lot of time with Norm. What Eric Bana does in that movie, yes, Norm. Norm, the guy that I sit around and drink whiskey with, did. And like I don't say this lightly. Norm is one of the great American warriors of his generation, if not the greatest American warrior of his generation. And like when something had to be done, you sent Norm. (laughs) And I can say it. Norm would never say that to anybody. Um, But I was lucky enough to meet Norm through Tim. Tim's wife and my wife worked at a place, uh, an accounting firm called Arthur Anderson in the early 90s. I've known Tim for a long, long time. Our paths have kind of gone in and out and happened to cross again because his wife is an executive at Disney and they happen to be on property. And I walk out of my restaurant and there's Tim and Stephanie. And so Tim and I started talking. He's like, hey, I got this idea. And I got a lot of people who come to me with ideas for the alcohol world. And I was like, all right. But Tim came back to me with Norm and said, hey, Norm and I love cigars. We love whiskey. We make some cigars. But we want to make some whiskey. And so, um, and this kind of dovetails nicely into why light whiskey. And so I got to know Norm. He's the real deal. He's a cool guy. You know, there's a good purpose behind this. And so um, I called up MGP and we said, hey, can we come up and blind taste? And so they're like, yeah, sure. And so we get up there and, you know, if y'all have been to MGP, there's no tourist center or anything like that. It's a fucking factory. (laughs) And so like, you got to be ready. No, there's some cement walls and some smokestacks. And that's what you get. And that's what you get. But when we were tasting, like one whiskey kept like waving at us. And it was the 12-year-old light American. It wasn't the bourbons. We, there wasn't any 10-year-old high rye in there because we'd given them uh, you know, some 
some parameters on price and just, you know, we scrambled them up and came back and tasted again. And the same light whiskey kept on waving at me in particular. I was like, man, this tastes good. And if we tinker with the proof a little bit, I think we have something that can cover a lot of bases and be delicious. And so that's where we ended up. And, you know, the guys at MQP are pretty cool. There's not a lot of 12-year-old product of any type out on the market anymore. We have a whole bunch of it because we're really passionate about it. All that is still at barrel strength, so we control what the final proof is. And, you know, just y'all were, you know, I got to give credit where credit was due. There are a number of pushes to bottle up barrel strength, but y'all were one of those pushes. It's like, wow, I wonder what this should be like at barrel strength. And I'm like, yeah, I know what it'd be like at barrel strength and it's pretty tasty. And then my muse in this is my wife loves whiskey, loves bourbon. And so, you know, I brought it home. I brought some home and said, Hey, we're going to screw around a little bit with proofs. And so, you know, we got some samples down and yeah. Uh, she's like that 121, is that right out of the barrel? I'm like, yeah. She's like, that's the sweet spot. That's the first round of barrel proof for us. Your wife is a very smart woman as <laughs> wives typically are. I have an yes. interesting question though, when it comes to putting the whiskey together, because obviously Hoot and Young, their names are the ones behind the brand, but you are the brains and you are the one kind of making it go behind the scenes. How much are they tasting it along with you and saying, I like what, like, are you presenting the different options to them? You've already run through the gamut. You've got the the consult from the wife. And then once that happens, you're bringing it to them and, and saying, do you bless this? Or is it kind of like you have carte blanche to do whatever and they trust you implicitly? Well, they trust me implicitly on taste, but I'm not that kind of guy. We're always going to be a group and they're going to taste beforehand to make sure that they're cool with it so that we're all on board. But yeah, it's my job. And, you know, Norm has the story. Norm's story is a cool freaking story. And we give back to Army Rangers with the product. Tim had the idea and had the seed money and make sure that everything happens the way it should. And my part of it is it's got to be delicious. And we've got other things in the pipeline. I got a 15-year-old barrel proof that's even higher proof than this and 15-year-old product that should be out before Christmas. And then we have some six-year-old light whiskey that we have been aging in top quality barrels that were used for Cabernet, top quality barrels that were used for Zinfandel and top quality barrels that were used for Petite Syrah. And we're going to put that as kind of like a three pack out around Christmas time so that you can, you know, have the fun of, yeah, people put out single barrels that have been aged in Cabernet and it tastes cool, but you can make your own decision. Do I like it finished in a Cabernet barrel and a Zin barrel or in a Petite Syrah barrel? And I think that's almost a place where you have a competitive advantage that these other distilleries don't have. Like we... Do you think? Well... <laughs> like, because Zeke and I are in a bourbon group here in Nashville, and, and it's called TriStar Barrel Kings. And we were lucky enough to have a backbone bourbon, which is MGP, and it was finished in a silver oak barrel. It's not something that happens all the time. We were lucky enough to just be the one group that got it. I feel like you would be able to do stuff like that all the time and have some LTOs that are really interesting where you can go to those wineries, they know who you are, and you could say, can I just get a barrel of that? And chances are they'll probably give it to you. I am transparent in this. I called 
three of my best friends in the wine business, two who allow me to talk about it, one who rather their name not be mentioned, but they're all they're all like badass wineries. And they're like, hell yeah, just you got to come pick them up. You can have the barrels. And so and like they, what was it? Uh, six barrels of each. And so Mortson Winery, which is a Zen maker in Sonoma, Mortsons have only been growing grapes in Sonoma since 1880. <laughs> so, you know, and they're, they're also cattle ranchers and they're just very cool people. Clay, who's the, the winemaker and owner of Mortson, played football at Oregon, played in the Rose Bowl. And it's just the most laid back, cool dude, loves things that are delicious, knows that the whiskey is going to taste good out of his barrel. And then Honig is a Napa Valley winery that gave us some of their single vineyard uh, Cabernet barrels. And I mean, Michael is, again, one of the coolest dudes in um, in Napa and not looking to flash or anything. Just he makes really great wine. And it's like, yeah, dude, here's six barrels. And then the Petit Syrah from uh, possibly the most famous winery in California. They just don't want their name to be mentioned. But you can go into my restaurant or on the web and look at the one Petit Syrah I carry in. I don't know. Add two and two and get four. <laughs> That's all the people that say. say it's Indiana distillate. And it's yeah, like, it's like Daw. I wonder where. One of the things that popped in my head is you're talking about going through and, you know, proofing them and looking for that sweet spot. Sure. I guess I could probably do this. I just never have taken the time or really thought about it running through my head now and thinking about kind of the core profile of the light whiskeys. As you move that proof down, coming straight from the barrel and then, you know, working down to whatever your lowest number is. Did you feel like the core qualities or, or tasting notes stayed more true versus, I think, um, you know, a traditional, uh, you know, wheated rye or, or just regular bourbon mash bill? As you go from 125 or so down to 90, to me, I feel like that moves more and, and you don't have as much of, um, I guess, like family lineage or something, so to speak, where you, you always know what your, your core product is. So it's interesting what, what you're saying. Like I look at the 92 proof when this was, when we we're tasting this at, I think it was like 138 was what we were tasting at when we did the very first tasting before we started messing with proofs. It was good, but it was fast. I mean, like there's that punch of spiciness and oak was more prevalent at that point when we brought it down to 100 and then to 95 and then finished at 92. I like that a little bit less of the spice came out and a little bit more of that maple corn thing kind of happened still with that satiny mouthfeel that you get here. Whereas with the 120 that we ended up with the 12 year with these barrels that were naturally, I think they were naturally 122 and we bumped them down to 120. So I think you have what two, three percent one way or another out of the barrel to call barrel proof. I, I love this because it is direct. I mean, it is a Corvette. Like you're <laughs> putting you're revving the engine, putting in gear and letting it go. And so there is still there is family limit lineage between the the bunch. And I, it'd be fun maybe if y'all do come down and I get a little runway. Like I'm happy to to get them to send a you know a barrel that we like and proof you know, step, step down, proof it, start with what is barrel proof, then, you know, to 132, then to 125, 120, 110, 100, and then 90. 
and you can see that it does run true. There's there's not a point. Uh, when we tasted the 92 proof at 85 proof, you had obliterated the product. It wasn't. It still tasted good, but it was kind of like, all right, whatever. You're going to say it's watered down whiskey. But yeah, there is a lineage that runs through it that's pretty cool to see how the small changes happen, but it still is the same product. Was that a long, snotty answer? I don't know. No, no, no. That, that I couldn't think of a good way to word the question either, but I, I think we were on the same page and yep. that, that confirmed what I had suspected. Like I say, I, I just never done it, but I, I feel like what's at the core of the light whiskeys and the notes people that pick up and love, regardless of the proof, those are always going to be kind of an yep. intangible and they are, and they're there in both the 92 and in this, and in the 120, I think. And Zeke um, and I obsess, I just, not to not to jump in for a second, but we do obsess no, on when people call it a day. We always wonder, like, how does that work for people when they're proofing down the whiskey or when they're doing small batches that are limited editions that they're running together? And you see somebody, there are some brands who are like, all right, we always put our stuff out at 93 proof. So this is always good, you know, like, and, and I'm not saying 92 or 120 or all that, but yeah. like, do you sit there and go, okay, well, this one is 120.8 and then we have 120.6 and then we're doing 120.2 and like you do little things like that, or do you kind of keep it? Cause I also know like Sean Joseph's who did Pinhook at the very beginning, he's like, well, I came from wine. He was also a sommelier. And I know I say that wrong, but he, he, uh, he was a wine sommelier and he said, well, just like wine, you pick your proof. So all my stuff was 90. And then it wasn't until he hung out in the whiskey world a little bit more that he's like, well, this expression this year might be 95.6 and next year it might be 102.4. How much do you obsess about that? And then stop and just say like, this is good. I could really tinker with it more and obsess and get it perfect, but this is good enough to call it a day. So um, we do two things with that. We'll get to a roundabout proof that we like, whether that's 95 or 100 or 120. And then we will tinker with a few. Like when we're doing this, we had a range of barrels that were like at 136 all the way to the 120. And then, you know, you can toy a little bit with it from there. Whereas this one, we got to 90 proof and we love the 92, the 90 proof. We thought 95 proof wasn't perfect, but then we found that we like 92 better than we like 90. And so I think, a you know, one proof is about where we kind of, but we get to that one proof difference after we've narrowed it down to like, yeah, we think 95 is still a touch too hot. And 90 isn't exactly what we want. So let's go to 93. And then we taste 93. And yeah, we like 93. Let's go to 92. And oh, we like 92 a shade better. Kind of like, I don't know if either one of y'all wear contacts. But you know, when you go to get your uh, your eyes done, and they're like, uh, is one better than two? And two better than one kind of thing. <laughs> um, the other thing that I'll tell you, and I learned this from wine, from a guy named Jorge, Jorge Ordonez. I will go back the next day and scramble everything up and do it again one more time the next day. And the final proof that we had has to win. And if it doesn't, then we go back to the drawing board. You know, I learned that when we're blending, blending a few thousand cases of wine, that's a special blend. That's going to be a lot of money. You don't want to mess with it. And sometimes you do get palate fatigue. And so, yeah, come back the next morning when you're fresh, put them all out. Yeah. See if you're any good or not. 
Fair enough. Getting in, knowing that we are over an hour in because this yeah. has flown yeah. by. I'm sorry. No, no. I yeah. I think this has been an awesome conversation, but I do want to talk about this barrel proof, this 120 proof. What do y'all think? Well, I was going through it, and I, I mean, normally I let Zeke lead off, but I just want to say here, I, I think the nose is a beautiful mix of vanilla, but it's like freshly cut wood. It's like that sawdust, or when you pick up the, the piece of wood after you just ran a saw through it, and it's a little bit hot because it was a power saw. It wasn't like a handsaw, but it, it has a little bit of heat like that on there too. And then you taste it and none of that is there because it just goes down easy. So it's like, I feel like a bunch of the characteristics on this pour are on the nose. And if you don't nose it enough, you're going to miss a lot of the other stuff that comes with it. I just thought that was unique. And normally I'm filling in the blanks after Zeke goes. And I just want to get that point in there. So Zeke, you go ahead and tell me what you think, honey, boo boo. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I've always liked about the light whiskeys, you know, similar to the, the, the synergy of the profile at the proofs is I think the nose versus what you taste matches up really well. Also, um, a lot of other whiskeys, you can nose one thing and then when you taste it, it do a full 180 on you. That being said, I'm going to kind of mingle these together, but moving through this, the first thing I picked up was popcorn in the sense of like uh, Cracker Jacks or toffee, like, you know, covered popcorn, maybe not movie theater, but still, if you ever had that thing around the wintertime where you opened up like the variety jug, you know, you like the family got to eat on for the next month. That was probably the whole like front profile to me. The vanillas and other things are there. I just think those are intangibles we would expect. So I don't hit on those as much. And, you know, for a 12 year product, I think anytime we see that, regardless of what kind of whiskey it is, 12 years in oak, the first thing you're like, ooh, well, how much wood's there? I only caught just a smidge of char. And to me, it reminded me of that moment when you're making s'mores and your marshmallow just starts to get past light brown and starts to get a little black. And you know, you want a little bit of black on there for the texture and that variance and flavor, but it's a fine line of when you put it out. And I, that's where I thought the oak was for this was like right as a marshmallow starts to turn and, and show a little char on its you know, skin, so to speak. That's where I thought this was and just enough for you to know there was age there. You know, the alcohol was not overpowering at all. There's some heat at the back, not like a Kentucky hug because, well, there's, you know, not the rye as well, but the heat's just a form of the proof and you would know that going in or you should, I hope. <laughs> and, unless maybe you have both bottles and you don't pay attention one night and well, that was your own fault. <laughs> I thought the the best way for me to, uh, I guess, kind of compartmentalize these, thinking about the, the 92 proof as well, was, was literally almost like seasons for me. Summertime, when it's hot, I personally don't want to sit there with an overly high proof product. I've already sweated. I'm dehydrated and exhausted. I want something easy just to sip and enjoy. But if it's 40 degrees or lower, you know, around there, and I'm outside in December or January with a fire, yeah. That 120 is going to give me the exact same profile and, and the same taste sensations, but I'm going to enjoy sipping it because it's just a completely different, uh, you know, ambience or whatever that, that's around you and, and, and surrounds everything else you have going on that's going to factor in whether you realize it or not. I concur. <laughs> But sorry, I, I've been kind of, I drift a little bit lately to a, a more visualization space, but that's just, I, I feel like one of those things that people don't always think about when they're doing notes, they just focus 
specifically on the product that's in their mouth and not everything else that would be going on at the time when they're enjoying it and not dialed in in some little room where that's all you're focusing on, but you have the world also incorporated with you. But I'm very curious about this popcorn mix. Like, is this like a Garrett's Chicago mix or is a certain specific flavor, you know, because the Garrett's Chicago mix is going to be the caramel with the cheddar. I mean, the one I remember, because I was a a scout, so we always sold Trails In, and I think they sourced it from different people over the years. But it's a very light toffee. I also get corn and popcorn-y. I mean, I don't taste the chocolate or smell the chocolate-covered ones, obviously. But I think from a distance, especially when those tins were fresh, somebody could pop one open. You know, you're in the kitchen, they're in the living room. And if it's the first pop, you're like, smell it. Damn it, who opened that? I've got to go get a handful now because some asshole opened it and I was going to save it for another week because I didn't want to sit here and eat the things all night. But when it's fresh like that, it it, it hits your senses and you pick it up as a kid and I, I don't think it ever leaves really. So you're saying it tastes so good once it hits your lips. <laughs> I'm saying if you ask where that note came from, that's exactly it. And, and that's an olfactory memory to me that I think any kid would love. And if if you get that, you're going to love the whiskey even more because it takes you to a completely different place than what whiskey normally would. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on one area. And I think the thing that I like about light whiskey is that I can have a sip and it doesn't get hot. And I get amazed at the proof and where it, but again, this is you and I having different palates that what's hot to you is sweet to me. And what's sweet to me is hot to you. I think the cool thing about this is, like I said, I get a whole lot of depth on the nose and I'm not saying that the palate is thin or falls off or anything. I still think it's thick. I think that wood kind of carries in the vanilla carries in the toffee carries into me, you know, those typical whiskey aspects The freshly cut wood is probably the most predominant thing, but as far as that stuff goes, it's not burning. I get no burning sensation. I feel no burn, even at 120 proof. And I would expect maybe something to come in like the third part of the palette towards the finish and breaking that down, not in the front, not in the middle, but kind of like once it hits the back of your throat, I get nothing. This is like smooth sailing. And you talk about seasons, this 120 proof and the 92 proof, I mean, that's something I can drink in the summer either way. I think if I were to really get specific on it, though, the 92 proof is what I would be drinking during the day while I'm mowing the lawn. The 120 proof is what I'd be sitting on the deck, maybe having a cigar, maybe have a fire in the fire pit if it's not 100 degrees outside, something like that. That's when I would go for that 120 proof opposed to the 92, but they both have their place. I just think that I like the woody aspects of this pour to really go with And I was going to mention to George that I feel like Hooten Young is almost turning into a little bit of a lifestyle brand. If you go to the website, they have a really cool logo. And I bet you more than one person ends up getting that logo as a tattoo because it really is badass. But what I like about their merch is they've also done stuff with that logo just being really cool. They've put it on Calibri lighters. They put it on, you know, hats where it's just the logo and it doesn't scream hooting young on everything. And I think that's really good. Zeke always gets on me for worrying about marketing too much, but I think that's kind of cool because it builds the brand as you could wear the shirt and nobody's looking at you like, oh, you're wearing a whiskey shirt or a cigar shirt. It's like you can wear the shirt and still blend in. 
It's not like I'm wearing blah, blah, blah distillery on my shirt and everybody's looking at me funny. I think the woodiness of this really pairs well with the cigars that you can find on their website or all that other stuff. And, And those, I think Zeke and I need to next with you review a cigar and a pour. That'll be yeah, the next show. <laughs> we can do that. But I do really enjoy this whiskey, and and I really do enjoy seeing where this brand is going. I think, uh, George, you were kind of talking about just all the other uh, finishes that you have access to, different years, different proofs. You know, So you have the 15-year, the six-year. Where distribution-wise, because I know you can get it online. I know you can get it at Wine Bar George in Disney Springs in Florida. Where else can you find this now? So the beauty is um, we have been, even in pandemic time, have been a growth brand. We're in Florida, we're in Georgia, we're in Texas, we're in Colorado, we're in um, Virginia, we're in Pennsylvania. Indiana is getting set up. I think Illinois is getting set up right now. Um, And I'm missing South Carolina we're in. Tennessee. Um, Sorry, I got (laughs) close. They're working. we're, We're not as close in Tennessee as we are in Indiana and Illinois, but that's one that's being worked on right now. Also, if you need us to introduce you to some distro, we got your back. Awesome. I may be reaching out for that. In fact, tomorrow I got to talk with our marketing company. I'll see where we stand. We hope to see you in person. We hope to have you on again. I will say that my pleasure. I will say, I really enjoy this one. This is more my wheelhouse. Well, and certainly, honestly, thank you for taking out the time to to reach out and say, hey, let's dive into this a little more. I mean, there's nothing better than seeing someone that appreciates their brand enough to to take that kind of time. Uh, That's wonderful, honestly. And can can I just say one very last thing? I'll make it really quick. Aroma is the strongest tire to memory for a human being. And it's weird how it just, it makes me smile and gives me satisfaction when you went back to a place as a kid where somebody opened up that freaking can of caramel <laughs> corn like 50 yards away from you and you still knew that that like a fucking heat seeking missile <laughs> what was going on and that's man that's a memory and experience that's just cool right oh, it, it, and that's what makes us all dive in and go for stuff i mean it, it drives us all whether we realize it or not And in typical dad's drinking bourbon style, it would not be a dad's drinking bourbon show if Zeke did not talk for 55 minutes of the hour and five minute podcast. (laughs) And he says one thing and the guest is like, I like you more. (laughs) No, that's not true. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love both of you the same. No, Zeke always comes out with, and that's what the allure of Zeke is, is he will just sit there quietly and he will say one thing that is the perfect thing to say. And I love him and hate him for it. But <laughs> George Miliotis, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys. We loved yep. having you. They can go to hootenyoung.com. You can find them on the interwebs as well on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. Check out Hooten Young. 
You can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Please leave our podcast an open and honest review like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. George, thank you again. Thanks, guys. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Good old Nashville, Tennessee. And thank you very much again, George. This was a blast. Cheers. It was a blast. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good night.